Did we put that? Oh, it's up there. It's up there. I'm not sure. Did he draw that? He did. He did. <laughs> All right. Um, I don't know. I don't know what, what he did. But anyway, he was doing worship and then authority, and then I'm doing motivation, and I think next week is going to be mission. Um, and so that's how we, that's how, I guess, how he got that. Um, he's been basing it out of a passage in Matthew 28 um, where Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's called the Great Commission. And Great Commission means that's what we're supposed to be doing. That's what our role is, amongst other things that are in Scripture. And as we think about that, it has a number of things within it that we're supposed to we are supposed to be doing, and so today I wanted us to look at what are our motivations for doing the things that we find that we're, we should be doing in Scripture, um, found here in Matthew 28 and other places in Scripture. Now, when we think about sermons, usually we in the evangelical community like exegetical sermons, or what we would call a biblical theology, and that is that you have a passage of Scripture and you're sticking with that one passage pretty much kind of walking through it to better understand it. That's one way of doing it. But sometimes, and this morning we're going to try this, you can do what is called more um, systematic theology or thematic sermon. So systematic theology, biblical theology, we're looking at a passage and going, what's the theology in that passage and based from that passage and bring in other scriptures. Um, systematic would look at an issue or an idea and say, what are all the scriptures that come in to bear on that? And that's just one sort of rough definition of those. And so we're going to be doing something a little bit different this morning, looking at a lot of scriptures, but under the theme of what motivates us as Christians. Now, um, there is, as I've been speaking over the the last few times I've spoken, and I think you've gotten this from other preachers too, we also have been thinking quite a bit about the kingdom and our role in the kingdom. And I think there is a kingdom motivation, meaning there is a king that we are responsible to and we are to come and be motivated to serve him and do the things that he wants us to do. Now, when you think about the things from scripture that you're to do, I think everybody in this room has been around long enough to know that there, there are a number of things that we are to do in Scripture, that we're called to do in Scripture. This morning, it's not going to be a sermon about what you should do, because I think you know the things that you should do, and I think the Spirit, whether it's in Robin's heart or Hal's heart or someone else's heart, God is saying to each of us what you should be doing. And so I'm not going to be addressing that because I want you, but I do want you to think about that and have something in your mind to say, God has been working in my heart. I should be doing A, B, or C because what we're talking about is the motivation to do that. Now that could be tithing. It could be inviting people to church. It could be evangelism. It could be praying for your neighbor. It could be all sorts of things that we are called to do in scripture, um, And so I just want you to have some of that in your mind. What has God been calling me to work on? Or what have I been struggling with to work on as a Christian? Um, And then we're going to be um, 
Now, I, I do want to say, too, that some of those things you may already be doing. You you're should be in church. Well, guess what? You're here. But as we think about the things that we are called to do, we also want to think about the things that why we're motivated to do those things. So you may be here this morning and be looking at your heart and saying, I'm not sure my motivation is the best. Some of the young people might say, I'm here this morning because my parents said go. Well, that's not a terrible motivation, obedience to parents. But there can be other motivations to things like giving and praying and evangelism and the whole long list of things that we could be involved with as Christians. Um, so whether it's you're involved in this church plant and how, why should you continue to be involved, how should you be involved, it's not the question of what you're supposed to be doing this morning, but the why behind it, the motivation that we're going to be looking at. Um, and so um, as we go to that, I'd like us to pray, and then we will begin um, looking at those things. Father, we come into your presence, and we thank you for your goodness and your kindness and your mercy. And, Father, we pray that our hearts would be motivated this morning to serve you better, to love you better, to know you better, to glorify you better. And, Father, we pray these things not out of our own strength, but out of the strength given to us by the Holy Spirit. And we bless you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, as we start, I do want to say there are some what you could classify as negative motivations or reasons why you, that you shouldn't use to motivate you. And these are found in Scripture. And I just want to highlight those before we go to the positive ones. Some of the negative ones, if we've got the Galatians 2 passage. We do. Look at that. Am I, am I, I feel like I'm, I always feel like I'm standing in the way. Can y'all, everybody can see that, I guess. Galatians 2, it says, Yet we know... That a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law, because the works of the law, no one will be justified. And all that saying is, and you know this, if you've been paying attention at all in Vintage Grace, that our salvation is not because of the good things we do. We do not come to Jesus or to God and say we are going to obey him or do the things that we're required to do in Scripture in order to earn his favor. Now, you think about it for a second, you go, well, that sounds a little bit funny because we do want to bring God glory and to bring him favor. But what this is saying is you can't find salvation. You can't earn God's good favor by our works. And we understand that. If you've been around Vintage Grace at all, because our works are not enough for a holy and just and perfect God who cannot tolerate sin, whatever we do that is good, we can't bring to him and say, therefore, we're good enough. And if you've ever done evangelism, you ask that question. If you were to die tonight and stand before God, what would you say to him? And many people will say, well, I've been pretty good. And you're like, really? If God is holy and perfect and just, what is pretty good in comparison to that? And so our, our righteousness is not enough to earn us salvation. So if you're being good, if you're, quote, unquote, doing the things that God wants you to do in order to earn your salvation, that's not going to work. And if you're an unbeliever this morning, that's the gospel. That's the good news. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. We come and we confess our works are not enough. Our works are not anything. Our works don't serve to bring us into right relationship with God. The only way that we have right relationship with God is through Jesus Christ. 
And so we believe that, and we teach that, and we stand by that, and we encourage you to know Christ because of that. But on the same hand, Galatians 3, 3 says, Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, you're being perfected by the flesh? This idea of I want to kind of get things right with God because I'm going to work hard by working hard is also applies to Christians. And that's what Paul is saying there in Galatians 3. Don't be foolish. It doesn't work for your salvation. It doesn't work for your sanctification. So this isn't about earning our right place with God. This isn't about our motivation can't be we're doing this because we want to work it out ourselves. It is all dependent upon the work of the Holy Spirit in us both for our initial faith and our working out that in our lives. So we're dependent upon the Holy Spirit, and we're, but we're not motivated by saying, I'm trying to earn that. Matthew 6 says this, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, that they will have, but you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your right left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is another negative or, or motivation we shouldn't have, and that is in, to impress other people. When John goes on a mission trip, it's not to make everybody in the world look at him and go, he's a great guy. There should be other motivations to that. When our worship leaders are up here leading, they shouldn't be doing it to say, look at me, I'm a good person. That's not what this is saying. Whatever we do as Christians, our motivation shouldn't be, oh, look at me, I'm a good person. And in that day, they were actually giving money to the needy and they were blowing trumpets so everybody would watch them give whatever they were giving. That's definitely not what that what God wants. So those are two negative or not correct motivations. A third one um, is found in Matthew 8, um, I mean Mark 8. And in that story, um, it says this, the Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. Throughout the New Testament, the life of Christ, people were looking for signs to kind of prove or to show, or because of what they did. They said, I did this, I want to see a sign. I've done X, will you give me a sign? And sometimes we, flip, we slip into that mad, bad motivation. We go, God, I'm doing this. I want to, I want to see you do this for me. And that's not, that's not right either. So our motivation should not be those. But there are a lot of positive motivations in Scripture. And I want us to look at those for just a few minutes. Now, often... As preachers, or evangelicals, we go straight to this one. And the first one I want to highlight, and it's throughout New Testament, well, you've heard it before, there's lots of examples of it, but what it is is the concept of saying God has done so much for us through Jesus Christ that we come to him and we obey him out of thankfulness or out of love for what he's done for us. That's a great motivation. Unfortunately, sometimes I think that's the only motivation we hear or think about. And so as you're going through this today, what I want you to do is not only have in your mind, here are, here's the things that I think God's working on me to do or that I should be doing for his glory or for his kingdom, but also don't think about necessarily about all of these, but think about 
just pick out one or two, and you've got a note, your, your pen there, you can just write down and, and one or two examples of, here's a motivation I want to cultivate this week. And so you, I'm going to give you the verse, and you might write it down, and then go back and read it again and go, okay, God, will you work out this motivation in my heart or in my mind? Um, so I encourage you to do that. The first one I would bring up is James 1 through 12. Look at that. He's got it up. He's so good. James 1, uh, 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. My grandmother, when she was in her hundreds, early hundreds, she talked a lot about going to heaven. And she talked a lot about the crown of life. She wanted that crown. And sometimes we think our motivations should all be for God. But scripture does give us quite a few motivations that are pointed towards us. And the crown of life, I think, is one of those to say, you can have salvation. You can have the crown of life. And I think that's a worthwhile motivation to have in our lives to say, I want to be a follower of Christ. I want to do the things that he says. I want to pass those trials that are before me, whether it's something I should be doing or something I should not be doing. I want to pass those trials so that I will receive the crown of life. And, that, and that's a worthwhile motivation. It ties into a number of other passages. One would be Colossians 3, 23 through 24, that says this. Whatever you do, work heartily as to the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. We have an opportunity as we obey, and as this says, work heartily unto the Lord to receive an inheritance, not just a crown of life, but an inheritance from God. Now, I don't know what that all means. I mean, in Scripture, it talks about the streets of gold, and it talks about mansions, and it talks about other things. Um, But it also talks about aspects like peace and joy and other things that I think are a part of what we receive as followers of Christ. And in according to this verse, as we work heartily um, as to the Lord, knowing that the Lord will give us an inheritance. Um, it, that idea of inheritance, though, is throughout Scripture. Just point back, you can go all the way back to Leviticus 20, verse 22. Um, you shall therefore keep all my statutes and my rules and do them that the land where I will bring you will not vomit you out, but that you will walk, not walk in the customs of the nations I'm driving out before you, for they did these things, and therefore I detest them. But I say to you, you shall inherit their land. I will give it to you to possess, a land flowing with milk and honey. You shall be holy to me, for I am the Lord, for I am the Lord and holy, and have separated you from the peoples, and you shall be mine. This is that concept of we will receive an inheritance. When I introduced it from Colossians, though, I talked mainly about things in the future, in heaven. But there's also an inheritance in this life. Now, this is the hard part, because when we think about inheritance in this life, remember a few weeks ago I I preached, and part of the story was about Judas. What inheritance? Do you remember what he wanted? He wanted the kingdom now. He said, I've been obedient to you, Christ. I think I should get the kingdom of God now and for my people. And, and God said what? 
It's not going to happen that way. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. And so in scripture, sometimes we hear about this concept of inheritance, and it's hard because we go, is it going to be now, or is it going to be in the future? Is it going to be on this earth, or is it going to be heaven? Guess what? Scripture talks about both. Um, Our children are an inheritance from the Lord. Now, does that mean, and there are people in this room that are struggling with children that are not following the Lord. You wouldn't, wait a minute, I prayed for that child. I raised them best I could. I did everything I thought God wanted me to do, and they're not following God. Where's my inheritance? Well, part of what we're saying in Scripture is that you have to, it's worked out over time, God's inheritance. And sometimes, you remember the story of Gideon? Remember this story? He came and he had all these men, and God said, I'm going to get the job done, but you got too many men to do it? You've been too successful. Um, Often in scripture, God takes us down to a bare minimum. Why? To show his power and glory. So if you have a child that's walking away from the Lord or some other struggle that you're saying, where's my inheritance today? Part of the answer to that is God is working it out. And so much of scripture is about, do we trust him? Do we say, you are our king? You rule over us. You get to decide when we get our inheritance. Not when I want it, like Judas who said, I want it today. I'm going to force Jesus' hand. But we look at it and we say, no, there is an inheritance, and we will receive it. Remember the story of Abraham? Abraham was very old, and he was looking for a child, an inheritance. For a long time, he didn't receive it. But when it finally worked out, it was obvious that it was God's hand at work in his inheritance. There are many other scripture verses that can motivate us and say, I want that inheritance. I want these things that God has promised. Exodus 19.5 says, God's possessions. Therefore, you will, if you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. It should motivate us to say, we are God's possession. We are God's people. We will keep his commandments. We will obey his voice because we want to belong to him. He's the winning side. We want to see his name glorified. Matthew 5, 18, uh, 16 says this. Matthew five sixteen. In the same way... Let your light shine before others so that they might see your good works and give glory to God the Father who is in heaven. Think about it. We get to participate as God's, in, God's possession. We get to participate in bringing him glory. That's a motivation to say, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm going to do X. Why? I'm going to do that in order to bring God glory. God deserves glory. I want to glorify him. Or I'm not going to do this over here. Because if I do that, I will not be bringing him glory. And so when you think about praying for that neighbor or giving your tithes and offerings or whatever it is that God's called you to do, whatever that issue is that you have in your mind, say, I want to bring God glory. I'm going to do this because I get to participate in that aspect of bringing God glory. Um, Part of that of being a, a participant in bringing God glory is to realize that because of Jesus, we are seen as sons and daughters of the Most High. And that's an awesome thing that I think should motivate us to say, 
We are God's people. We are God's representatives on this earth. We are the ones that others look to and say, that's the beginning of what the kingdom of God looks like. So when they look at Vintage Grace or they look at your family, as you are moving in your sanctification or doing more and more of what God wants you to do, then you begin to say, I'm demonstrating what it means to be a a daughter of the Most High. I'm demonstrating what it means to be a son of the King. I think that's an awesome thing to be a part of. Um, Galatians 6, 7, and 8 says this. Do not be deceived. God is not marked. Whatever you sow, you also reap. For one who sows to his own flesh will reap reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. There is a personal aspect to this. I want eternal life. I want something that's not corrupt. I want something that's going to last in this life. And I think that's a worthwhile motivation to say, I want to sow my life and do the things in my life that will bring God glory, but will also last for me. And I think that's part of what that says in Galatians 6. Proverbs 3, 1 through 5, I think Al said. I had it 35, and we both looked at it and went, that's wrong. 1 through 5, Proverbs 3. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace will be added to you. Let not your love... let let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so that you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and men. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. This is pretty awesome to say we will receive God's blessing. As we keep his commandments, um, we will have length of days. As we keep his teachings, we will have peace. As we listen to his word we will have love and faithfulness won't forsake us they'll be around um, writing on the tablet of our hearts we will find favor and good success in the sight of god and man anybody want that kind of stuff absolutely and i what i want you to see here today is that scripture is saying it's okay to say i want that in my life i want god's blessing i want to see favor and peace for my self and my family i want to Keep his commandments because I want to have length of days um, added to my life. Psalm 23 talks about the same thing. The Psalm of David where um, it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lay down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. Your rod and your staff will comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. That picture in Psalm 23 is one that we should hang on to and say, God, as I seek to obey you, that's what I want in my life. And that's okay to want that because that's what Scripture says will happen as we seek to obey him. Now, the hard part is, when does that happen? Do you have total peace in your life? Do you just lay amongst your enemies and everything's perfect? Um, Do you totally comfort it all the time? No. It is a process that we're working through in this life. And it's back to the story of Gideon of saying, God does not give us everything all at once. God does not 
allow us to go in with all the troops that were available in that story with Gideon, if you remember it. But the concept of saying, this is where God is taking us. Now, does that mean you never go through deep waters? Does that mean that you never struggle with health and issues in the family and issues at work and other things? Absolutely we do. But part of that is setting us up so that no matter what God takes us through, this is back to the kingdom motivation, no matter what God takes us through, we are saying we are your people and we follow you and we will obey you. And as we do that, his blessings will come down on us. John 3, 1 John 3, 22. From him, because we keep his commandments we and do what he pleases, all that we ask we will receive. Now that's a tough one because as we think about it to say, can we just pray and get everything we want? Do you have the best job you could ever pray for? Do you, you know, everything work out exactly? No, that's not what that's saying. It's saying as we live our lives for him, he will provide for us what we need, not necessarily what we want. Malachi 3.10 says this, bring the tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord. If I will not open up the windows of heaven for you and pour out your bl- a blessing on you until there is no more need. Sometimes our understanding of what we want gets confused with what we need. But what this is saying is, as God's people, as we obey him, he will provide our needs. And that's an incredible thing. Then last one in that little series about need and blessing is Romans 8.28. For we know that all, all those who love God work together, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Working together for good. That's a tough one. Because what we think is working together for good may not necessarily be what God thinks is working together for good. And sometimes we go, God, this doesn't look like it's working together for good. But what we have to remember, as we remember back at the beginning, a kingdom motivation, we're worshiping and serving a king. And sometimes we look at and go, you know what, God? I can't figure out what the good is here. I can't see it. But you're my king and I trust you. And I follow you and I obey you. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, changing topics just a little bit. Hebrews 12 talks about witnesses. Therefore, since we have been surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. One of the reasons you should do the things that God calls you to do is that there are witnesses. There are children in the church that watch you. There are families that observe you. There are people around us. There are people in heaven. There is the heavenly kingdom. In fact, Luke 15.10 says this, So I tell you, joy before all the angels in heaven over one sinner who repents. When we do what God calls us to and repents, even, even the angels rejoice. So the concept that there are witnesses, there are people, and this isn't just for leaders, like how, to say, oh, you need to live a life that honors God because people are watching you. It's for all of us to say, hey, we are being watched by others. Um, I was noticing uh, a desire to have children sing. 
And part of that is, as adults, we should say, hey, we should sing. We're an example. Even in worship, how we worship, are we being an example to, uh, to the children in our midst? Um, all of those things come together to say we are being watched. And not just by heavenly realm, not just by the church, but we're being watched by the world. And so my wife has to remind me that on times when I'm driving because I'm used to Mexico where you use your horn a little bit more. And, um, you know, she says, no, people are watching people, you know, and I'm like, well, I don't have any Christian bumper stickers. And she goes, it doesn't matter. You still have to live like a Christian, even if you don't have Christian. Uh, she keeps threatening to put a Christian bumper sticker on the car. So I have to drive even better. But, um, that's the concept that the world is watching and is aware of who we are and what we're doing. Um, second Corinthians four says this 16 through 18. So that we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For the light of momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comprehension. That we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. What this is talking about is that we we should not lose heart in what we're called to do because not only will we glorify God, but we will receive glory. And, you know, you can go to all sorts of negatives with this. And scripture talks about these, about you don't want to be ashamed or you don't want to fear the wrath of God or you don't want to, you know, uh, come under his judgment. Those are all the negative side of this. But the positive side is you will stand in glory and Jesus will say, job well done. And that's a phenomenal motivation to think, I will, I will have glory. Now, it's reflected off of Jesus' glory. It's his glory first. But we will join in that as sons and daughters of the Most High. It's also why we are created, Ephesians 2.10. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared for beforehand that we should walk in them. The reason we were created was not only to give him glory, but to show forth his glory to the world around us. That's the reason we are created for good works that God prepared for us, his workmanship in us, and that should motivate us. Philippians 3, verses 7 through 9. Whatever I gain, I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything for loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. This concept is saying, as we obey, we can know Christ better. And if Christ is really our Lord and our Savior to say, we want to know him, we want to even know his suffering. And as we go through that, as we struggle in this life to do the things that he's called us to, we gain a surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Uh, You may be here this morning and say, I don't care about knowing Christ that well. Well, I want you to consider your own heart and where you stand before God, because if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you should want to know Christ that well and say, that is very, very valuable to me. And in fact, Paul talks about considering the loss of, of all things, many things, for the worth of knowing Jesus Christ. Hebrews 10, 19 through 23 says this, 
Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way which he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, a full assurance of faith, that our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, and let us hold fast, fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. What this, what I want to highlight from this is the motivation that God, through Christ, is working for us. That the things that we go through, Hebrews is talking about, um, Jesus is opening the way before us. Jesus is working through us. Jesus is drawing us near. Jesus is impacting our hearts to want to bring him glory. So if you're here this morning and you had that thing in your mind and you go, I really want to be doing that, I, I need motivation to do that. Part of our motivation should be Christ is working that in us. And as we do that, we get to participate in what he's doing. Galatians 5, verse 5 through 12. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persecution is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. What that's talking about is as Christ is working in us, we have a hope of righteousness. And he's saying, don't let a little persecution or a little problem in your life cause you to stumble. Keep looking to him that he will work it out in us. And if not, a little bit of a problem can leaven the whole lump. And so who hinders you from obeying the truth? None does. So keep your hope of righteousness. Just a few more here. 1 Peter 2, 9 through 11. 1 Peter 2, 9 through 11. But you are a chosen race, a holy priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you were not have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of this flesh which wage war against your soul. We're told to abstain from the passions and the things of this flesh that wage war against our soul so that we may be called the people of God, that we may proclaim his glory, that we might be a holy nation, that we might show we're his possession, that we might declare the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness, that we might serve as royal priests. Those are all roles that we are called, but to do those roles, we need to more and more conform to his image through the power of the Spirit. Romans 12.1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This morning, I hope all these motivations cause you to say, I want my life, I want my body, I want my emotions, I want my actions in this world to be worship, to proclaim his mercy. And so we present our bodies that way. And lastly, Philippians 3, 13 through 14. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but the one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press towards the goal of the prize of the 
upward call of God in Christ Jesus. As you have been thinking about what you need to be motivated for, as you've been thinking about all these motivations, the one thing I want you to remember is that it's a striving. It's a moving forward. We talk about the process of sanctification. It's not a one-time it's done like our, our redemption was, but it's a process of saying more and more like Christ. And so don't forget what's behind, but strain forward for what lies ahead that goal of the prize of the upward call in Jesus Christ. I can't tell you this morning what you need to be working on in your own life. The Holy Spirit can. I can't tell you which one of these motivations will help you this week, but my desire was that by looking at these motivations, you might say, there's something in there that I want to be a part of. I want to see that in my life. I'm excited to consider that as a motivation. And so I want you to know that leadership is praying for the church. We're praying for you. You pray for us that we would together as God's people say we are motivated to do the work God's called us to. And in a church plant, that's, that's a lot sometimes. And why do we do those things? I think you've seen a long list of motivations behind that. So I encourage you this morning to think What will these motivations have on your life, on your family, on your church, on your community, in your country, that together we might see God lifted up and God glorified? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for your kindness and your goodness to us to allow us to know you better and allow us to know your mercy in our lives. Father, a lot of different motivations here that we've talked about. May you, by your spirit, use these to bring your people into conformity to your word, that you might use these in our lives to encourage us as your people to love you better and to, and to honor you in all that we do and say. Father, may your people be encouraged this morning by this. May your people be encouraged by your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.